0: Welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, I will be speaking with Teva Johnstone. Um, She is a social worker, psychotherapist, children's mental health consultant, and mother, she also can be found on Instagram at Neurocurious Therapist and she's the owner at Blossom Child Therapy because we just like to keep adding the word and and then some. <laughs> so thank you so much for being with me today.
1: Oh thank you for having me. This is exciting.
0: Oh, it's so much fun. I just want to tell you listeners that sometimes I find people on Instagram and Teva was one of those people that, I started following and I instantly knew that she was going to make a difference. The type of posts that she makes, I think you'll want to, you'll want to jump on Instagram and follow her at Neurocurious therapist, which I will post on my Instagram feed. So you can yeah. find her there. Um, so thanks again for being with me. And I just want to ask you, I'm going to jump Straight in because I have so many questions for you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where does the passion come from for doing what you do?
1: Yeah, I'm very passionate. My passion comes from, I would say, it first started with my desire to make a better life and a better world for my child clients who I see Mm -hmm. in my psychotherapy practice. Mm there are some uninformed, kind of outdated, and then also just different theoretical schools of thought on how we should approach kids and their mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And I found that there was a lack, like a, a gap of information available to my profession, my psychotherapy and social work profession, just about neurodivergent kids um, and how they present with their sensory issues and executive functioning issues. Mm -hmm. We have understanding there with ADHD, but I had a desire to see that understanding expand to autism and developmental trauma.
0: Mm. I'm actually really grateful that you have taken up particularly that developmental trauma piece, I feel like that's left out a lot. And you're right, I've seen the gap. And maybe that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to you because I don't see many people filling that space. And so as I follow you, I have these little moments that I everyone calls the aha moment. Yeah, <laughs> And I know that a lot of people that follow you feel the same. So we're happy that you have shown up to fill in this space that is much needed. You betcha. So I am wondering, I guess this is kind of a piggyback off of what I just asked you, but what Mm -hmm. drew you to this field of expertise in the first place?
1: Um, So I have a neurodivergent daughter. Mm -hmm. I try not to give too many details about her publicly online, but she Mm -hmm. is neurodivergent. I am also neurodivergent
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'd say just kind of generically, we both have sensory issues um, and I wanted to be a better parent to her. Mm-hmm. So when, even before her diagnosis, I knew as a mental health professional who works with children mm-hmm. that there was something there that was beyond the scope Beyond the reach of typical development, mm-hmm. I knew that there was atypical development happening. So I dove into the amazing online library provided by autistic adults who have been so generous with their stories. And I studied for years online before I had the courage really to take my daughter for an evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, So what drew me to this field within my own work was I wanted to help children who are also neurodivergent. And then personally, I wanted to be a better parent. Mm. I wanted to learn the best practices for the most respectful parenting of my child.
0: I love that so much. It's interesting because even in the field that I received my master's in, there were some things that I learned when you talk about best practices that I thought I'm not going to incorporate that into what I do because I don't feel like it brings out the best in the people that I'm working with. And it made me uncomfortable as a parent of neurodivergent children myself. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. what you're saying there. And I know that those that come to see you and get to speak with you and spend time with you appreciate that too. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, how do you help neurodiverse individuals navigate trauma? When I ask you this, Mm -hmm. I know you're not, you can't talk about specific clients Mm -hmm. necessarily, but are you able to talk about common trauma experienced by neurodiverse clients? Mm
1: -hmm. I would love to hear about that. Definitely. Um, I can talk about, like, generally speaking, what we know about the common trauma that neurodivergent clients experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the best I can, I can talk about some of my own practice with protecting information, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, So we know that autistic people have like a a different brain wiring, right? It's what we call in my field, approaching something from the the biological perspective. So biologically, we know that the size of the amygdala is different and the amygdala um, is one of the oldest parts of our brain. It's like our fear response, fight, flight, freeze. Mm -hmm. And studies show that depending on the age of the autistic person, the amygdala can be smaller, larger. But basically, we know that it has a different response to fear. Okay. And so the autistic brain is more likely to perceive on a neurological realm experiences as traumatic. Mm-hmm. What to someone else might be just a little bit fearful or maybe even benign.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's that risk factor with the biological piece. And then psychologically, we know that there's a huge impact with abuse and neglect that often happens within the home. Mm -hmm. Um, We call that developmental trauma in the mental health field. And we know that autistic children do have high rates of maltreatment within the home. That makes me sad. Yeah, me too. We Mm -hmm. also know, I experienced this when I worked in foster care, that when an autistic child is removed from the home due to abuse or neglect, they can be very hard to place with a foster family. Also, if a foster family does accept an autistic child, but they are unprepared Mm -hmm. with how to parent that child, Mm -hmm. we have more of a likelihood that the child will change placements change homes numerous times which mm-hmm. is trauma upon trauma upon trauma
0: so much trauma
1: so much trauma so mm-hmm. there's the original trauma of potentially being abused by parent mm-hmm. then there's another trauma of being removed from parents home mm-hmm. because even when parents are abusive when we remove a child it still causes trauma children love their parents yes then we have the trauma of a foster home, not working out, and the child moving numerous times. Mm -hmm. Then socially, we have risk factors for trauma. We have bullying at school. Yes. We have social exclusion. We have, um, when youth become a little older and they enter intimate relationships and are young adults, we have domestic violence. We have such a a much, much higher risk of victimization for our autistic youth, particularly girls. Mm -hmm. And so we just have so many risk factors that we need to mitigate and Mm -hmm. and be aware of. And then when they do happen, we have to try to work to heal those uh, instances the best that we can. Mm -hmm. So in my work, What I do, um, when I see a child with trauma, autistic or not, Mm -hmm. I work to, as appropriate, strengthen the relationship between parent and child, Mm -hmm. because strengthening the parent-child connection is the best mental health treatment for a child, Mm -hmm. and yeah,
0: I agree with that. It just made me think that my daughter wasn't officially diagnosed with autism or as an autistic individual until she was 14. And during those early years, I didn't know what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. I had never experienced autism on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And so the sensory meltdowns and quite honestly, just meltdowns in general that would last for hours, I could not wrap my brain around what was happening. And of course, as a parent, you think, what am I doing wrong? And then you also think, how do I stop this? Because you see your child hurting, but also you're kind of, it creates tension. And what I also know is that, so when you talk about trauma, I sometimes feel a twinge of that parent guilt because I think I'm certain my daughter experienced trauma Mm -hmm. unintentionally from the lack of parenting skills that I had Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And like you, once I dove in, once I learned what was going on and I really took a deep dive into autism and communicating with other autistic individuals and professionals alike, Mm -hmm. I learned so much and I was able to implement that. And i truly saw my daughter find comfort in being home. Mm-hmm. That was a beautiful thing. So the fact that you focus on strengthening that parent-child relationship is actually a huge point for parents to consider when taking their child to therapy or for Mm -hmm. autistic adults to think about when they're seeking therapy themselves. So I appreciate you touching on that. I hate to admit that I could have created any pain for my daughter, but I know that I'm human and that I did not do everything correctly. And it took me a while to catch on and figure that out.
1: Yes. And I think, Michelle, that It's really important that parents remember that they are human themselves. Mm -hmm. That, you know, we're not given the manual. There is no manual. Yes. Many of us are first exposed to autism with our own children.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We can go years not knowing what actually is happening and Mm -hmm. just trying to focus on improving our parenting strategies. Yes. For a child that is not ours, meaning some of these mainstream parenting books,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: they give great advice, but they don't necessarily apply to the autistic or neurodivergent child.
0: Oh, you nailed that.
1: You should post uh-huh. that on your neurocarius
0: <laughs> therapist site. I should. Yes. Cause Thank it's you. such a good point. I did read so many parenting books and I thought either I'm doing this wrong or these people don't know what they're talking about, which they do. Many of them do,
1: yeah.
0: but you're right. It's, everyone makes that, um, putting a, you know, peg in a, or a square in a round hole analogy. You hear it often, but mm-hmm. it is, it's you so true. Yes. The parenting, the parenting skill set is different. It just it is. is,
1: it is. And then we have so many parents with their own trauma and abuse background from their own childhood Mm -hmm. and by no fault of their own they become incredibly triggered when their kids do not follow instructions as quickly as they would like to are not as cooperative as often as they would like them to be they're loud, they have opinions of their own, um, you know, all the things, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And parents with with abuse and trauma histories become incredibly triggered and can have a reaction or a response that does register as very frightening for our Mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. And so I try to give parents tools to work through some of their own triggers. Mm-hmm. And also, that to me, the best tool is grace for oh. themselves. Yes. We all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Every day is a new day. Children love their parents. And we always have another opportunity to repair.
0: Yes. Oh, I love that you mentioned that. I was just thinking that when we talk about traumas and what can, you mention the word registering as a traumatic experience for a child. I, I liked that terminology. Um, I was thinking there have been multiple times when my children were younger that my frustration would lead to possibly me using a strong voice. And what I learned is yelling didn't really even have to occur for me to get their attention because sound was so hypersensory that the raising of my voice in general, just even a little bit, they were extremely hypersensitive to. Yes. And I remember my daughter saying, why are you yelling at me? And I said, girlfriend, you don't know what yelling is.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. I and, have heard those exact words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so
0: um, I guess what I've learned is it didn't they didn't need any of that. They didn't even need me to raise my voice. I just had to change my tone slightly. And so there's hypersensitivity in various aspects of life that we don't really fully understand as parents unless
1: we learn the tools. It's true, it's true. We're not taught these things in our you know prenatal classes. No, we have to seek out the information which is why I'm so grateful for the autistic adults who have generously put the stories online Mm -hmm. because that was the entryway for me into learning more. And then I dove more into my, um, you know, my own professional disciplines learning. Mm -hmm. But back to the trauma registry with the um, hyper, you know, auditory response. It's true, autistic children can not only hear the sound with like greater intensity, but the tone of the voice, Mm -hmm. the minute we start changing that tone into one of agitation, which it's going to happen. We Mm -hmm. do get agitated. We are human. Mm -hmm. Um, They pick up on that very quickly. Yes. I think faster than neurotypical children. (laughs) I
0: definitely, I definitely agree with that too. One of my children is neurotypical two are autistic and one, I would, I would call her neurodivergent. She's anyway, she's five and she's very sense. I know. I didn't
1: know you had a little one.
0: I do. (laughs) I do. Our trailer, baby.
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. She's sorry. She's the one you post the pictures of regularly. I do. Okay. Yes. Now I'm registering it all. Yes. So <laughs> she actually loves to
0: see herself on social media. Oh, so cute. <laughs> I know she thinks it's great. So, okay. but I'm just saying that there is, I, I have felt the differences in my own home okay. and I recognize the differences. And sometimes I feel that parent guilt again from parenting my children slightly different Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: I just remember that's because they're individual and that's the way that it goes sometimes exactly we adjust mm -hmm. yeah we do and I explain that to my kids they they understand that and Mm -hmm. they it's similar but there are adjustments Mm -hmm. so I wanted to ask you What can you share with parents that might bring some, this is a broad question, Mm -hmm. but that might bring some comfort during their times of struggle or through their struggles
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: or as they struggle?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'll start with as they struggle. Okay. Like in the moment, Mm -hmm. one thing that I really, really practice for myself and teach to my clients is to take a pause, Mm -hmm. slow down, tell yourself, have your own mantra. For me, I say, it's not an emergency. Mm, I love that. And that really helps me calm my own nervous system. Mm -hmm. And through calming my own nervous system, I am able to co-regulate my child. Mm-hmm. And so in the moment, I recommend just taking that pause, taking your deep breaths, whatever positive phrase you need to tell yourself to remind mm-hmm. yourself that it's not an emergency. That's what I recommend doing to get through that that really challenging moment. And also to know that even when you fumble mm-hmm. and make like really epic mistakes, (laughs) there's always a chance for the repair Mm -hmm. and that children learn to accept their own mistakes and their own imperfections when they see us model that for them. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So when we, when we make a mistake and raise our voice say something that wasn't our, you know, best moment to take some time and later go back and repair that and apologize and say, you know, honey, I'm really sorry. I raised my voice at you that way. That really wasn't cool. And I Mm -hmm. want to apologize and let you know that I'm going to try harder next time and Mm -hmm. do better next time. So we've just modeled for our child that it's okay not to be perfect. Mm. that the world does not exist in all good and all evil that even mommy who you love dearly and who loves you dearly is flawed Mm. and exists in the gray. So that's what I try to live by and teach, teach my clients that there's always room for repair. There's always room for grace and in our mistakes, we are actually teaching our kids a vital, vital life lesson. Mm-hmm. So that,
0: well, I didn't mean to cut you off there, no, but I just,
1: okay. <laughs> I just keep going. Sorry.
0: no, I just cut wanted, anytime. <laughs> I just wanted to second what you were saying. And I think it's really important. We, parents, I keep using mom guilt because it's real and parent guilt, dad guilt. We, we carry guilt as parents with us. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a natural mm-hmm. and natural thing to tow along with us. And I think, I think we show up as parents in a healthier version of ourselves when we kind of cut that guilt. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we show up when an apology is needed and we express our feelings and hopefully turn a different direction with our child and i love i love what you said that that is modeling for our child that we're not perfect either and that that means they're not expected to uphold a standard of perfection themselves
1: right
0: yes i think that's a beautiful connection that i i guess i hadn't thought through fully
1: mm-hmm.
0: before i i do i do make an effort to apologize To my children when I make mistakes, because I definitely do. Mm -hmm. And we hug it out and all those things, if they'll hug me. My son only (laughs) fist bumps me. Yeah. (laughs) Because he hates hugs. (laughs) But I just think that's a powerful message. And I appreciate you sharing that. So, how about comfort for those in the neurodiverse community or neurodivergent community? Um, as they're struggling mm-hmm. and they're trying to grasp who they are and process feelings and emotions within themselves. What would mm-hmm. you say um, to them okay. on, as far as finding a place of comfort?
1: So I only see kids in mm-hmm. my
0: practice. Okay.
1: So with the, the children and youth that I work with, I, I work from a strength space perspective. And which is not to minimize mm-hmm. challenges by any means. Sure, sure. But I recommend kids find that one area that they, you know, really enjoy, that they're good at, that brings them pleasure, and continuing to practice that, and also building community around whatever that strength is. Mm-hmm. So let's just say the strength is at um, building, you know, writing code for video games. I don't know. That's a good one. It's a common one, right? Uh So how about joining a club where kids are building code and then you can meet your people? I Mm -hmm. I really recommend finding your people and, Mm -hmm. and your group, your social group, does not have to be several people. It could be one or two. Yep. Um, So we know that as human beings, we all need social connection for our wellness. We need a different amount of social connection. Sure. You know, but Mm -hmm. everyone needs their person or their people. So I recommend finding your people, connecting with them, standing tall in your strengths, Standing Mm -hmm. tall in your differences, um, for the little ones, all little ones need at least one safe adult Mm -hmm. and it's really not their responsibility to find that adult. It's not, it's not possible. The adult needs to find them. And so Mm -hmm. if you are an adult in, and you happen to be in the life of a young child who's struggling, Try to be that safe adult. Try to Mm -hmm. be that enlightened witness. Um, Sometimes it's a teacher, sometimes it's a coach, sometimes it's a parent or an aunt or a neighbor or someone Mm -hmm. in their faith community. But everyone, every little one needs at least one safe adult.
0: Oh, that makes me want to go around scooping up little kids (laughs) and just loving the daylights out of them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we never know who we're going to be that for. And so many of the kids that I see and that I have seen in the past, I am that person. Yes. And I'm very aware that I'm that I'm the only person. Mm. And so it's a huge responsibility. And I try to encourage joy. In my sessions, kids are not, I don't do any compliance-based training. It's not what mental health therapy is Mm -hmm. um so my job is to increase mental health and Mm -hmm. decrease areas that are causing suffering okay and so I do a ton of interventions that build joy build self-confidence and strengthen a healthy Mm self-concept and I want these kids to see I want to reflect back to these kids that they are valued, they are important, and they matter. Mm -hmm. And if they see that from no one else on this planet, they will see it from me in my sessions. Mm, What a
0: beautiful approach and a powerful approach. I just was thinking, you know, as my daughter's 19 and she gives me the green light to mention her.
1: Yeah, that's um, great.
0: Yeah, she... We went through a lot of therapists because, you know, we would show up and she just so happens to be advanced um, educationally. She's, she's got a really sharp mind and it's that it's the mental health piece and the social skill piece that is somewhat delayed for her. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I bring this up is because we would go to a therapist and because my daughter is bright and intelligent, she could speak at and beyond their level. And that kind of threw therapists for a loop. And they would say, we had one say, now tell me what it is you want me to do here. I don't really understand what you want from me. And I remember saying, you know what? We don't want anything. Thank you so much. (laughs) And I wasn't trying to be a jerk, but I was frustrated because I, I realized, how do I find An appropriate therapist to meet my child's needs, which was to provide her with exactly what you're saying you provide for other autistic children and adolescents and even adults, which is just a safe space to feel understood, to feel heard, to feel non judged, Mm -hmm. to feel joy, which is what you were saying. And, And really, it took years. For us to find that. And so I'm so grateful that you are here and that there are a few more therapists that are more highly trained and highly focused to work in this autism community that is so remarkable Mm -hmm. and that needs more people like you who understand and who get it. And Mm -hmm. I just appreciate that because man, was it a struggle for us. And I just don't want other parents and other children to hurt like that. Yeah. And to have it continue over the years and not know where to go to ease that pain and that struggle.
1: Yeah. I also want to say that um, when finding a therapist for neurodivergent or neurotypical people, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we need a certain therapist for a certain season of our life yes and so we're, if we are particularly traumatized and you know the world has just beat us up metaphorically and maybe even literally mm-hmm. sometimes we need that therapist that really just sees us and knows us and makes us feel like validated and and really seen is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. But then at other stages of our journey, if you will, I'm from Mm -hmm. California, we speak this way. (laughs) Um, You know, we do need a therapist that can challenge us a bit more. It's true. So once we develop that trusting relationship and we trust and value the therapist's thoughts and training and expertise, then it's totally okay to be challenged by that therapist who is hired to help move us forward. So I just want to make sure and make that point.
0: I actually am really glad you made that point. And I know I keep sharing personal stories and I apologize, but I think it kind of helps bring it home.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love personal
0: stories. (laughs) I just, again, back to my daughter, she's 19. And like you said, growing up, we were working on, you know, like cognitive behavioral therapy and we did, we tried neurofeedback, which I've talked about in past session or in past episodes that didn't work well for her but I also don't think that means that has to be the case for everyone Mm -hmm. Um, but now she's seeing a therapist more of a talk therapist whereas growing up she hated that Uh she hated that and she said I have nothing to say nobody gets me nobody's understanding me but she's in a space in her life a stage in her life where she needs someone to bounce ideas off of. And so that's a great fit for her now, but it wasn't then back in the early days of her experiences. So I really appreciate you sharing that point. So I have seen, I'm going to just kind of take one little step closer to something you said earlier about finding the right therapist for your child and for yourself, if you are the one looking, Mm -hmm. you've kind of posted about therapists on your social media lately. And I have really been interested in that because as a parent, I thought, I wish that I had known what to look for. Oftentimes we get a list and they say, this is who falls under your insurance. Oh yeah. And so you're pulling up your insurance and you're thinking there's a hundred people on here and I don't know where to start. And I don't even know what to look for. So I want to ask you, because you are knowledgeable in this area, and because you've been sharing great information on this, what are maybe one or two important things to look for when you're trying to find an appropriate therapist for your child?
1: First, I want to acknowledge that in most places of the country, child therapists are scarce. Mm -hmm. So we are starting from a point of limited options. So that's really hard on parents. And I just want to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Um, If a parent has the luxury of choosing a therapist, I think the number one thing to look for is a therapist that your child feels safe and comfortable with. And a therapist who truly seems like they enjoy and appreciate and understand children. There are many therapists who see everyone Mm -hmm. from age two to age 92. And some communities, particularly like rural communities, they need to be able to see everyone. They need to be a generalist. Sure, Um, Sure. That being said, a generalist therapist might not be the best fit for a child. Mm-hmm. You know, they might just advertise that they see children, but truly not have the skills and the embodiment of a child therapist. So mm-hmm. I think that's number one is finding someone who seems like they actually enjoy children mm-hmm. and someone who your child feels safe with. Okay. So now it's normal for a child to take some time to warm up. hmm So if your child seems a little freaked out within the first couple of sessions, I don't think that that's a red flag that you need to move on. Sure. Um, I think checking in with your child is always a good idea and and giving it some time. And then after that, after the relational piece, in my opinion, comes the, you know, the skills, the training, the theoretical orientation, all those things. Okay. But you can have the best resume in the world and all the certifications there are, but if you don't have that relational piece, you are not going to be effective as anyone's therapist.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree with that. And I love that you shared that. So that leads me to asking you how people can reach you. And also I want to piggyback on that question just a little bit because Part of your qualifications, when I first introduced you, is that you are a mental health consultant, Yeah. and so does that mean that you can, people can, can they call you, can they do a Zoom meeting with you from anywhere?
1: Yes, yes. Okay,
0: I wanted, oh no, sorry, I just wanted parents to know this, and individuals to know this. So that they can say, well, I know Teva from listening to this podcast. How do I get in touch with this woman? Cause I need her help right now or yesterday. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, okay.
1: I'm offering mental health consulting to parents mm-hmm. of neurodiverse kids, which mm-hmm. means neurotypical and neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. And I am offering consulting to professionals who would like to learn more about working with children or neurodivergence, autism. Mm -hmm. I am not currently offering consulting to adults who are not parents and not professionals.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. And so now that we know who you offer to and some of the things you can offer, how do people reach you?
1: (laughs) So people can email me at neurodiversityparenting at Mm -hmm. gmail.com. Okay. They can also visit my website at neurodiversityparenting.com. Or they can come say hi over at neurocurious therapist on Instagram. <laughs> I didn't want to change the handle because I like the handle and I love your handle.
0: handle I think it's fantastic. First. Yes. <laughs> <Thank you.
1: laughs> so yeah, they can pop on over, come say hi. I'm always welcome to meeting people in my DMS and my comments. Mm-hmm. I can't answer specific questions. I cannot provide any mental health treatment via Instagram or via consulting. I only provide mental health treatment to California residents.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. But it is also nice for parents to know you can reach out, you can discuss, you can learn, you can ask a lot of questions.
1: Yes, I love questions. Soon I'm gonna be creating um, like self-paced on-demand online courses. That's fantastic. That will be affordable because I know not everyone can afford to see me on a one-to-one basis and I respect Mm -hmm. that. And so I want the information to be accessible, affordable, and anyone in the world can download and do it on their own time.
0: Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I want to try it. Thank
1: you. (laughs) I want to be a
0: part of that program. So I just, Teva, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. I just... I always get excited for people that listen, because particularly when I'm speaking to someone that I know has great insight and wisdom. And so I'm just grateful that you said yes, and that you're here to share and to participate in this conversation.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. It just felt really natural. I've been wanting to chat with you since we met on Instagram. Me too. Love
0: the following fillings... you. Oh, good. <laughs> well, the feelings mutual and I am just grateful that you're a part of this community. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. It was really fun.